0: We might open it up for discussion now, so anyone who has, as I said, a contribution to make, a question to ask, um, anything else at all. We've, the microphone's actually not too bad, so we might try and get the mic to you if you'd like it. Um, but otherwise, you're welcome to just stand up and speak loudly
1: to so everyone can hear. <laughs> I probably won't <laughs> <laughs> need that. I was going to ask them. um... How do you see the um, campaign in the cities developing? Because um, I know that the thing campaign, that was a key
2: element. It's not just the work in Tasmania, but the work in Melbourne and Sydney and um, all the other cities. Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, the, the problem so far has been that um, this has been a rural-based um, campaign for the most part. We've, we've organised brilliantly in, in country areas. Um, incredibly good leadership, I think. Um, sorry. Um, and, um, what we, what we do, um, in a lot of these rural communities, is we've got a, this, uh, terrific woman called Annie Kea, who's developed this, uh, anarchy, this community engagement, uh, model, where, um, we know we've got a lot of support, but we want to turn that passive support into active support. So, we, we go around, um, doing surveys uh, of these communities, and, and we go street by street. So the idea is that we're doing a, a survey that, um, to develop a uh, mining free, might be a, a gas free street or a mining free street. Uh, and uh, so the survey will be done in the street, and uh, people will be given information um, and uh, uh, yeah, whatever information they want. Discussions go on. And uh, at the end of it, they do a um, they compile the results of the survey, and uh, they if it's a if it's a very big number, then they call it a CSG free street, and um, then they go beyond that to a CSG free um, community, and then they go beyond that to the CSG free region, and and usually what they do in a, uh, uh, in a local government area is um, uh, if street by street. They'll have a big ceremony, and street by street, the uh, people uh, from a particular street will come in with the names of everybody in that street who uh, who wants it to be CSG free, uh, and give it to the mayor. And, and so every street comes in, gives this to the mayor, and this big pile of, of uh, names and, and parchments uh, is is put into a big pile. And what we're getting is in a lot of these areas is um, uh, 97. 95, 96 per cent of people saying they want to be CSG free or they want to be mining free. Um, and, in, and the uh, local authority area of Liscawa had a referendum at the last local like, government elections where 87 per cent of the people of the, of that have that electorate then um, said they wanted to be CSG free. So um, we're now doing that out in the uh, northwest of New South Wales on the Liverpool Plains and elsewhere. Uh, We're starting to do it in Victoria, a number of communities there, Uh, and it's a fantastic model. I mean, it it goes right to the heart of what campaigning should be about. It should be about, instead of, you know, having um, uh, celebrities getting on TV and telling you, you know, CSG is bad or renewables are good or whatever, uh, you actually have ordinary people going street by street, talking to their neighbours and getting a community solidarity going. So uh, we want to bring that to the city. In that, uh, sorry for the big lead up to the, to the answer to your question, but... Um, and I think we can. Uh, yeah, you quite rightly point to the Frank- Franklin. Franklin uh, is this little river in southwest Tasmania nobody had ever heard of. And most people have never been to Still haven't, but most people haven't been. And, uh, and yet, many, uh, probably hundreds of thousands of people in, around Australia in the period 82, 83 rally, to, um to say well, that's what you can do you can actually if you bring home to people what this is all about and you can give them things to do uh, towards uh, protecting it then I think you can involve people see and we um, we've been the sort of rhetoric that we use um, and the language that we use um, in and this goes to your study there that um, I try i try to think Back in 2010, how do we bring together, you know, um, young people in cities, old people on farms, you know, greenies and, and, and farmers, all of those different sorts of people? How do we bring them together with a common sort of uh, framework or a common a common set of language? And uh, what we what we've tended to do is to talk, use terms like um, a call to country, and what I often say is. Uh, if you love this country, if you love the country itself, you know, the landscapes and the landfalls and so on, uh, then you'll fight to protect it. And that resonates uh, with a lot of people, uh, and not just in the country. Uh, so it's, it's, this is the most radical transformation of the Australian landscape that we will ever see. That's what we're talking about. It'll, it's the most radical transformation since the expansion of the pastoral frontier in the 19th century. We are turning rural Australia, huge slabs of rural Australia, into an industrial wasteland. And that needs to be got across the people. 11 out of the 16 national iconic landscapes. You know, the Blue Mountains, the Red Centre, the Great Barrier Reef, Flinders uh, Ranges, the... Um, uh, I forgot the others, Ningaloo Reef. No. Uh, yes, the Channel uh, that's actually not one of the iconic landscapes, but it should be. Yeah. I mean, the Great Artesian Basin, which isn't a landscape, but it's under threat. So all of these iconic parts of the Australian landscape are under, under threat. Sorry, not all of them, 11 out of the 16 are under threat directly from mining, either coal or gas. And um, so Australians need to be made aware of that. We want to go in the cities, and I want to do this in the lead up to the next state election, where, and, and, you know, we really need as much support uh, from people like you as we can get to do it. Where we go street by street, and we actually, um, you know, we don't go there saying the Campbell Union government, you know, needs to be overthrown or anything. We just go there saying to people, express your solidarity with people in the bush and with the natural environment which is under such threat. And, and we'll have a little sign, that, you know, the yellow triangle sign that we have, a, a, a little sign that the, where people do express their solidarity with people in the environment that's under threat from the cold, and cold. So, you yeah know, stick it on your front gate and and express you know your uh, uh, your feelings that way and also you know have those surveys which show the extent of the support of, uh, people in the street for that but i think we can build up a way of uh, enthusiasm and support
3: in the city is just as strong, in fact, even stronger
2: in many ways, because this is where people are um, that can uh, that can overcome the depredations of this industry and, and force governments to start protecting the public. Kingdom. Is it permission? Yes. this is. How do you rationalise? People say to me, "Well, that's fine but we're
4: burning gas. If you couldn't lock up a street." there with gas storms and gas stores. lots of people have done the conversion to gas fired water and boilers rather than electricity so how mm-hmm. do we rationalise the fact
2: sometimes I feel it's a really challenge to so we say, well, we just want to take enough gas out for us we'll be, you know, out of China. You can't quite say that to people. So how do I deal with that? Um, I'm, a, I'm a bit deaf so I didn't get all, didn't get all the questions, but I think I, you tell me about that all answer. All right. Question. <laughs> um, the, um, um, there are different types of gas. There's conventional gas, which is um, uh, natural gas, same gas, methane. But you get it by going into basically a puddle of gas. So uh, associated with petroleum deposits. Um, and then there's other sorts of gas, um, which are called unconventional gas. Coal gas is one of them. You go into the coal seam, And in order to get the gas, you have to extract massive amounts of water. It's not a puddle, it's little pockets of gas all over the place within the coal seam itself. And the coal scene's inactive. So you have to extract massive amounts of water. In order to depressurise the coal seam, and that allows the gas to escape. And um, th- there's a whole lot of problems just associated with that. Uh, you have to build, for example, instead of one or two wells, you have to build 40,000. You have to do 40,000 of these things out West and Queensland along with all the other associated infrastructure. So we've got conventional gas way out west, you know, where there's not too many, you know, not too many people. Um, Because it's a very small number of wells, it's not creating enormous environmental hazards. Um, But it's the main one that has always provided gas to the city. This gas is going overseas. The vast majority of this gas is going overseas. It's being piped up to glass, the Sarah mentioned. And it's being liquefied, put on boats and goes over to Japan, China, South Korea, and anywhere else in the world, uh, and the price for overseas gas has been—it's it's coming down. And it has been up as high as seventeen dollars per million British thermal units, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, and um, it's now, and at the domestic level, it's something like about you know, somewhere between three and six dollars. So it's much—it's much. It's much um, Uh, more beneficial to these companies to actually export the gas overseas, they don't want to sell it domestically, in fact they refuse to in many cases Um, so, uh, but even worse what they're going to do in order uh, before they will sell it domestically they will force the governments to increase the price of domestic gas which is being used by people for their hot water system at the time force them to raise that price up to the up to the international level. So we're going to be paying somewhere between two and three times our current prices for gas in the near future because they're bringing up to international parity. So this argument that somehow or other we need this gas for cheap electricity also so that people can run their, their gas for it's a con. It's a complete con. These companies are, you know, are simply there to make as much money as they can. Um, they're making it out of, out of export for the time being, if they sell it domestically, they're going to sell it at the same price screw the customers here uh, and at the same time we could be getting this gas from conventional sources at the current cheap price, yeah. so the whole thing is con, and it's only there to, to help the, um, the shareholders for
1: these companies, most of whom are overseas. Yeah. Oh. i, I just, make, just
3: like to make a comment on that as well,
1: because I think your concern is that um, people are gonna say, Well, you're taking gas away from me, what are you gonna give me? In order to maintain my lifestyle, that was part of your question, is so I understood? Yes, yeah, so I guess
4: that's where I'm mixing it is that that's the that, 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 um, section of life which says, Well, with a lucky country we're living well, why do you want to stop about people in these facilities? You want to drive a car, you drive a car, you're consuming fossil fuels, I would get a donkey or a stop cleaning.
1: Yeah, I didn't quite hear all that, but I He's <laughs> He's, I'm a bit deaf too. Yeah, line of to CSG equals yep, sure, yeah, yeah. But the the point I made right at the start was that there's a plethora of renewable energy technologies that do the job cleaner and better into the future for us. We don't have to stick with gas. You know, we've had solar water heaters since the 1950s in Australia. We were the world leading developer of it along with Israel in the United States. Uh, we know how to make the bloody things and how to make them last for you know, 20 years and produce nice hot water. You don't need a gas hot water system. We've got gas hot water system because, as I said before, the fossil fuel industry wrote energy policy for us and they made sure that solar, along with the electricity suppliers from coal, kept solar out of the market. Um, and that happened in the 1970s, for example, when um, CEQIP took... It's formerly... Ener, uh, formerly or now Enerjex, took SolarHeart to court because SolarHeart complained that the state government uh, was putting out advertising showing solar water heatings cr- crashing through people's roofs. Um, unfortunately, SolarHeart lost uh, because it all become, becomes one of... Um, the, ..who can pay the, for the best lawyer. But... Um, the point I'm making is that we've got good technologies, we, and energy efficiency is a huge part of the equation as well. Um, so often we can use far less energy to do the same task than what we used to in the past. And refrigerators are a good example. You know, we, we've got refrigerators on the market now that are using 50% less energy than they were in the 1990s. Just because government imposed very, very slowly and very cautiously Um, minimum energy performance standards to improve the efficiency of it. It's not rocket science. We can still double the efficiency of modern refrigerators at a drop of a hat just by better insulating them um, because we still have pathetically low levels of insulation. So there's lots and lots of things we do that can easily maintain very comfortable lifestyles using far less energy uh, and swapping to renewables along the way.
2: What did you say? So jobs,
4: yeah, job creation thing, which I think mining and gas industry both together at the moment during the boom only provide 2% of
0: Australia's employment. And a lot of the, again, a lot of the 4, 5, 7 people. Yeah, yeah and that's talking about um, the kind of job creation line in support of CSG. And um, I would say the Australia Institute has a really great response to that. They've made a great report. Um, I wanted to clarify, Sheena, were you also. Um, concerned about how to say to people um, that you know we want to deny countries that are still industrializing energy, was that a concern that you had as well, or not so uh-huh. well.
4: The fact that we have water with water and we can do the same with electricity and with other systems. You know, once people are actually awakened to the thinking that, you know, we are just hosing off our driveway, driveways, we are just slashing off our boats and things, and let's use our grey water better. I once asked them. Why on earth we didn't have tanks in Australia? And a guy at the election booth said to me, well, you've never had to drink tadpoles. You wouldn't know what rotten old tanks are. Well, we don't have rotten old tanks anymore. We have very sophisticated tanks and filtering systems. And we've put two very substantial ones into our home. So my washing machine knows, uses no Brisbane town water at all. Um, so when we have to change, we're capable of change. And we probably need to change you know, our way of use rather than expecting India and China just suddenly become as consumer aware or as consumptive as we are of natural resources. But a lot of people just don't. We're all probably there already because that's why we're here. But a lot of people, it's a very, very hard discussion to have with them because they don't want, they can't comprehend that we can't all keep going any more, breeding more, eating more, wasting more. The food waste is huge, do you know? And I, I just struggle sometimes with those sorts of Conversations with people, I guess, is what I'm seeing. Uh, can, so, so much
3: um, can everyone?
0: Hear yeah. I I wanted to just say something. Oh, sorry. So I I wanted to bring up that point about um, this idea that we're like depriving energy to countries overseas that are still industrializing, because that's a big point that the Centre for CSG at UQ makes. Um, I never put it in In my thesis but I did a bit of looking at the documents that the CCSG at UQ put out and I went to some meetings um, between staff and students at UQ and the CCSG and Chris Moran the director at the time stood up and he put up a little graph of like our energy consumption per capita and the energy consumption per capita in some of the countries that are going to buy a lot of the CSG for the projects Um, and he was like how can you deprive these people the energy that we use you know because energy use per capita equals quality of life therefore by depriving people energy or depriving them quality of life and um, Guy PS is my suggestion of a person to uh, read or a person who makes a really great response to that he works at the Global Change Institute at UQ and um, he has written a number of times and spoken a number of times about how those countries are still going to industrialize they're just going to make different choices about where they get their energy from and I think that's a really great thing I don't think that's um, irresponsible of us at all.
1: The the point you're raising there is about um, resource efficiency and what is a a fair share for humanity in general across the whole planet. And we clearly know that we're using unsustainable levels of resources at the moment about 1.5 times what the planet can provide. So yes, um, in order to share resources more fairly, we have to really think about what are the major structural changes that have to occur across economies around the world to better share resources, and that there is discussion certainly around that. Um, There are technological fixes, and I gave a couple of examples before um, with the doubling of efficiency of of refrigerators, but we can go far, far further than that. So it's a range of of issues, but it, it fundamentally confronts capitalism and the nature of economic growth models, that is, that we are currently under that economic dominant model which says that economies have to grow in certain ways and they measure it through the GDP growth in particular, which of course is a very poor measure of the health of economies because it includes all the bads. If you have more car accidents, your GDP can grow and therefore the economy is seen as healthier. So we've got very poor models or, or model at the moment of economic growth in order to Start addressing the, the sort of structural changes to shift economies from being very resource-intensive to being very, very resource-efficient. And capitalism, of course, is based on getting rid of workers uh, and replacing them with capital. Uh, Automating—you know—solar factories now are being more and more automated. We're doing it cheap in China because labor's cheap, but eventually, labor costs will go up in China, and they'll automate more. Um, the one factory that we've still got in Australia doesn't employ many people at all because it's pretty much fully automated. Japan had done that many years ago in '85, when I visited Sanyo. There was one operator at the end of a huge big plant. So capitalism automatically tries to get rid of labour um, and replace it with resource consumption. Uh, really, the issue we're facing is a planetary crisis in terms of how we manage the rest of the planet, the resources... The the pollutants that come out of that process and we've got too many people so we're trying to constantly replace capital uh, or people with capital when really we should be looking at trying to do it the other way around, employing people usefully in meaningful work uh, and not over exploiting the resources of the planet.
0: Sorry, hello. This is just going back to the comments Sheena was making just about re- responding to questions that people may raise around industrialisation and deprivation of energy and so on to, um, you know, developing nations. And I think it's really important to um, highlight that, um, the, you know, developing nations um, have actually incredibly over-industrialised areas, um, so there are centres of incredibly industrialised, you know, like there's cities... In Pakistan, you know, that are much much larger than Sydney, so and they use probably use more energy because of the population as well. So it's not so much that you know they're not industrialised; um, they're just I don't know. It's just the concept globally that they're still a developing in a developed world. It's much more complex than that. So yeah, just a
3: comment. <laughs> Before I think you said one hundred and sixty thousand households with the uh, Felton studies. Um, Being a geek, I just calculated, that's... um, Highgate Hill or Hill End has around about 3,700 households. So that's a lot of households. That's like 61 Brisbane suburbs. Um, And we've just been talking about ownership going offshore. Um, Trevor and myself and a few others involved in developing community-owned renewables in Australia and in South East Queensland in particular. I'm just sort of wondering what other studies have been done that you're aware of, because that deals with the ownership um, it, the the money from community renewables comes straight back to the communities, we actually own it um, and then the second point um, was you were mentioning before about getting the cities involved uh, two years ago the 100% Renewables campaign rather than going into the cities and getting them involved they went to the groups in the cities who were already on side and it's just another way of doing it where they got the individual groups, we got 14,000 signatures um, and it changed the debate in Parliament House as a result of getting that support from the community um, but the question really is just Are you aware of other studies that have been done?